Today's episode of Grad School Confessional is brought to you by miscommunication. Sometimes we end up putting in more work or making mistakes simply because we don't communicate well. It's important to have a clear channel and style of communication with the people you interact with. Take me and Anna, for example. We're always on the same Finishing page. each other's sentence. Finishing each other's sentence. <laughs> we talked about this. No, we did not. You're listening to Grad School Confessional, a podcast that explores the good, bad, and ugly of graduate school, directly from graduate students themselves. I'm your host, Dr. Yoa Sway. From awkward supervisor interactions, to reviewer two horror stories, to convincing your parents why grad school was a good idea, we read out the confessions of graduate students from all over and chat about the realities of pursuing higher education. I'd like to welcome back my co-host and favorite conversational partner, my wife Anna. Anna is a PhD candidate studying digital health, a field where researchers ask, if we were really living in the matrix, wouldn't we have health bars? Also, that would make pet ownership basically like Pokemon, right? I mean, there's the whole comparison to the making your pets fight other animals implication with that comparison. Our dogs fight all the time. Yeah, but they, we don't have free universal pet healthcare in every town. And also, I don't know how Dudley or Benji would fit into like a little tiny ball. True. They wouldn't be all that useful in the fight anyway. Dudley only knows two moves, rest and growl. <laughs> like me. <laughs> anyway, the topic of the episode today has to do with miscommunication. Graduate students are still, at their core, students. We learn, we build and develop skills, and we rely on those more experienced than us for guidance and supervision. That being said, grad school is often much more independent than what most undergraduate programs look like. Combined with the fact that there are a lot of things that you only do in grad school, like writing dissertations or defenses, or do for the first time, like TAing or teaching, it means that a lot of the time we make mistakes, or do a lot more work than perhaps we needed to. Even the best of us can get mixed up sometimes. I mean, my supervisor in my PhD was very fond of putting in like these really scary email subject lines, just like all caps, <laughs> call me now. <laughs> and like it would be the most innocuous thing, like when you actually emailed him back or called him back, it would just be like, hey, can we uh, chat about this sometime this week? And it's like, why did you need to give me a heart attack? <laughs> <laughs> my supervisor just recently left a bunch of comments on my dissertation in all caps with minimal spacing. <laughs> it was like, you should consider inserting so-and-so theory right here. My caps lock key is stuck. I'm not actually... <laughs> <laughs> It's so interesting, right? Because in terms of email etiquette, there's like, there's supposed to be the exclamation mark that's supposed to signify like, oh, I am yelling this thing or I'm very excited about this thing. Yeah. But I just thought how we all just decided caps lock was just like shouting the across universe. the internet. <laughs> the universal like. Witness me. <laughs> yeah, no. But along the line of exclamation points, yeah. I feel like as a woman in academia, there's like always that like strange connotation mm. of like am i trying to be too friendly yeah. so you you're there crafting this email and you're like ah oh, how many exclamation points am i allowing myself yeah. generally it's like one per email and then you're like oh but i'm really happy about these two things <sighs> and then like you like start looking through it like where's waldo like how many exclamation points yeah. do i have dude I, I'm not gonna, you know, try and diminish the fact that as a woman, uh, you probably have to do that a lot more, but I have the same thing where I, like when I'm emailing people who are in higher positions of power, yeah. you know, potentially perceived or otherwise, I have to be like, 
super excited and I'm just like, thanks, exclamation mark, or like smiley face and just... <laughs> Thanks for the feedback. This was really helpful. I'm it dying. It didn't make me want to kill myself at all. <laughs> Laughing emoji. <laughs> Heart emoji. I, actually, that's one of the things I really love about kind of more modern, uh, I don't know what you would call it. like Email etiquette. Email etiquette. Or whatever. Like people could put in emojis sometimes depending on who you're talking to. Tenured professors exclusively. Just like <laughs> smiley face, heart face. You're like, you can't do that. <laughs> you know how those, you know how to find those? <laughs> yeah. But I think miscommunication exists in other areas in academia as well. Like when you're partway through a research project and then you realize that you just like didn't take one of your variables <gasps> or you asked, you coded one of your variables wrong. Um, speaking from experience there. Yeah. Friend? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't even think my supervisor knows that. Actually, my PhD supervisor. But um, there was one study that we ran where... If you're listening to this, we are so sorry. Yeah. Like, if water under the bridge, it's been published. It's fine. <laughs> but for one study that we were running, we forgot... I mean, we forget, but I had this one variable that I wanted to get at. And I accidentally... It was so weird. It was five questions. And one of the questions was coded backwards. It was just that, like, you had to have the word don't or something in there, okay? And I didn't put that word in. And that like, seems like a very, like, important thing. Don't cut the yeah, red I... wire. Cut the red wire. <laughs> okay. And that's what it felt like. It felt like it blew up in my face because I didn't get to use it, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's validated for the form that it's in. And I can't be yeah. just like, well, it's like the same thing you can take away the don't. I do the exact same thing. I know. I remember. I know exactly oh. what you're going to say. Oh, you remember. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you have a questionnaire that you're working with and then you want to use it in like a mass email recruitment scenario, um, you have to re-enter the entire questionnaire into the software that's going to generate the mass email. And, uh, I just completely forgot to dive in one of the questions. Yeah. And it like, and it got published. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know. We also acknowledged that up front and said, like, we it did. probably wouldn't we have did. mattered too we much. We said it was a technical issue. <laughs> it was a technical issue. It was technically, technical I was the issue. issue. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was the running gag for that study. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, it's it was kind of unfortunate because, obviously, we have 33 items. And if you fit one, and it's meant to be scored as a whole. Um, but at the same time, it's like... But it still got published. <laughs> that's all that matters. Research. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhat of a scientist myself. Similar to that vein of, of miscommunication or things going wrong, our stories today are all about graduate students who maybe didn't read the instructions as well as they should have or could have talked to the right person and avoided some miscommunication. Our first story comes from a grad student who thought that their candidacy exam was going to go very differently than how it actually did. They write, The aim of the candidacy exam at our school is to prepare you for the final milestone in your PhD similar style of presenting dissertation defense and rounds of questions from the examiners. I had to reschedule my initial candidacy because of a concussion that I suffered from playing basketball. You can imagine how stressful and how challenging it was doing this right after experiencing concussion symptoms for three weeks. The structure of this presentation was explained to me as such. I present my work, and then I have two rounds of questions from each examiner, all in all around two hours. It sounded pretty straightforward to me. The examination started, and one of the examiners started giving me feedback on the paper. I thought these pre-presentation questions were coming at me pretty quick, and pretty aggressively, and I still wasn't sure when I was going to present and get asked questions about my presentation. 
the pre-presentation questions lasted for two hours, and I was thinking the entire time that there's going to be as many questions after my presentation. I started to get anxious, but I eventually built up the courage to ask them when I was going to present. They all looked confused, but also realized that I hadn't even started presenting before they went straight to examining me. My whole candidacy defense went backwards, where I ended up presenting at the end. In my head, the entire time, I was thinking that this defense would probably take five hours, if not more. Probably the most stressed and cognitively drained that I have ever been. That's so mean! <laughs> it was like a misunderstanding though, right? Like I'm sure the examiners, had they known there was a presentation, probably would have let them do but it first. isn't it standard to first receive the material that you would ask questions about? <laughs> they just start asking questions. Yeah. It's like 90% of these would have been answered in my presentation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like good on them for building up the courage eventually at the end and being like, hey, you know, maybe you should see my presentation. Like that reminds me of a thing in my presentation <laughs> that I was going to give. Presentation? Never heard of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but definitely having a concussion and, and then thinking that you have to do this exam and then it goes you're thinking it's going to be five hours long like nothing in grad school should be five hours long i feel like i'm leaving (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna take a break we're gonna take a breather we're gonna yeah seriously you need like like i've taken flights that weren't as that long i still got a snack on them what are you doing in defense you're just standing there the whole time like oh man standing no i would not stand yeah, no. I would I, not stand for that. I probably, <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I got a really good piece of advice before my master's defense. And it was, if your examiner goes on a rant, as they often do, yeah. um, don't interrupt them. Because each examiner only gets about 10 minutes to ask questions. Yeah. Right? So one of my examiners went on a rant. And I just let him do it. And he kept talking. And I kept waiting. And then the moderator was like, and that was time. And he was like, what? (laughs) And I did a little, like, fist bump. (laughs) Just like a little self five underneath the table. (laughs) Yeah, no, but it was funny that I got away with it. Yeah, no, that sounds sounds really great, actually. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously, there was, I'm sure there was some value into having him um, critique your thesis. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Maybe not. I remember getting a little bit of a freebie like that in, you know, my dissertation exam. And your doctoral? Both. Yeah, master and doctoral. Yeah. Same examiner? Same examiner. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, they just, you know, they were kind of at the point where they had, I don't want to say softball questions, but they were very much these bigger questions like, you know, what is your plan with this research and like, where does it fit into the broader sort of field? I really hope I don't get a question of what is your plan with this research because I really hope I don't have to do anything that has to do with what my thesis is after I'm done it and I'm gonna be open about that I'll be like I don't want to touch it I'll publish it you're all on it but I'm never doing this yeah, research again yeah no, that's fair that's fair I don't know I I definitely had the same kind of relationship with my thesis too it was very much like at the beginning I was super into it and then you kind of do it for three four years and at the end of it you're like oh, I just gotta finish this like I don't be wrong. I still do like sedentary behavior and I still do like health psychology. Dude, and... boy, do I like sedentary behavior. <laughs> <laughs> I could sit for days. But yeah, it's it's definitely um, not maybe my main passion. 
right now in terms that's, of research. That's fair. But it's but that's a good thing, right? Like it kind of just moves in the direction that yeah. you want to go. And I mean, I think the point of a doctorate is to really develop the skills yeah. that you can take with you. And sometimes the skills are realizing that five hours for a presentation probably is too much. <laughs> probably. Okay, that being said, I was told before I started my PhD that doctoral defenses are actually two days. And <laughs> no, not like eight hours. Two days straight. No, but I I heard this from somebody in literature or psychology or some field. Yeah. Uh, but they said, yeah, the first day you do a presentation, like you do a lecture, like a three hour lecture on your work. What? Because you have to like, it's a, it's a lecture, right? And then the next day you do rounds of questions and that's like four hours. And I thought, you know, considering like this is a doctorate, this is pretty like extensive, but yeah, I could see this because you're supposed to be the expert in your yeah, field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then hearing about other people's defenses, just like, yeah, we squeezed in this bad boy between 9 and 11 <laughs> and I got to go for a drink before noon even happened. <laughs> you passed, thank you. Yeah, my doctoral defense, I remember a couple people defending before me, but, you know, pre-COVID, and they had these presentations that were at least 45 minutes and I think they had 45 minutes to do it. And I'm, like, making my presentation, expecting to do that. And my supervisor's like, yeah, if you can make it, like, half an hour or less, that'd be great. I'm just like, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And on the other hand, I'm like, ah, but I kind of wanted to get into it a bit more. But it worked out. It worked out. You passed. I passed. And it was not the most stressed or cognitively trained I've ever been. Often, miscommunication can lead to missed opportunities. Our next grad student tells of a time they realized their entire graduate degree could have been made so much easier if only they had the right conversation. They write. This is less of a confession and more of a funny story. Funny as in the laughing face emoji that has a bead of sweat dripping down its face funny. Anywho, the story. I was inspired by a professor in the last year of my undergraduate to pursue research, and after volunteering at a research institute, I decided to pursue a master's with another researcher specializing in my topic of interest. While I waited for my acceptance letter, I worked on a study for the same professor who inspired me to get into research. Upon getting accepted, they asked me, why didn't you do a master's here with me? You basically did a condensed version this summer. My jaw dropped. I did what? While their words gave me self-assurance that I had what it took to complete a master's, they plagued me over the next two years. I had a great relationship with this professor and could have continued to develop it. Also, my master's could have been so easy and allowed me to move on to the next thing faster. Yeah, it seems kind of odd that you wouldn't ask the person you were working with if they had room for a master's, you know? So this actually bridges into a very large topic that I will try to condense. In terms of a lot of implicit knowledge in academia that a lot of people just don't have access to. So for example, um, now being on the other end of it, it seems very natural for us to think, well, why didn't you ask your professor that you already had a relationship mm. with about whether or not they're taking graduate students? But I remember being an undergrad and not a single time did a professor say, hey, I'm also like taking on graduate, taking students, on graduate yeah. students or I have graduate students. I didn't know that most professors had graduate students and were supervising students until I myself was in graduate school, I thought that most professors did research independently. Yeah, like they actually did their research. They actually did their which research. Which is like, honestly, looking at it now, oh my gosh, could you it's imagine so if professors laughing. did their own research? 
will laugh. It would take forever. Oh, man, literally. like Nothing would ever get done. Nothing ever gets done now. Yeah, and they thought they just taught and they did their own research and that was it. Mm -hmm. And like if you had a big lab, then you had graduate students. Mm -hmm. But that was it. Um, And so there is a recent study that came out. Um, or a presentation. I don't know. It's on Twitter. <laughs> it's legit. It's, it's legit. legit. It's on academic Twitter. <laughs> the hashtag academic Twitter. It's legit. But more than half of people who are hired in tenure track positions have one or both parents who have PhDs. Huh. Academia is generational. And the people who get hired for tenure track positions in Division One schools in these higher ranked universities are way more likely to have one or both parents who have PhDs which makes you think, man, it's so much easier when somebody within your own family has done this entire path before you, has a lot of connections in the field, and can facilitate a lot of this. We had to learn it from scratch. Yeah. I, I mean, thought, I thought a doctoral defense took two days. Yeah, seriously. And I guess if the stat you said is right, one out of two people who get tenure track positions have parent. More than 51%. So I guess it means only one of us is getting a tenure track position. Because neither no. of us have a parent. No, that's not how that's not how math works. Oh no. Do I know how math You're works? You're a quantitative researcher. Get it together, Swain. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I totally agree with you. I think part of the ethos of this podcast, I hope, is that we can convey some of this unspoken stuff about grad school and about the process of applying to grad school and then also getting jobs afterwards to people who are listening who may not, you know, yeah. get that same information from the sources that we did, or that I would say we are very fortunate to have gotten from. Yeah. For example, if you're doing a master's, it works in your favor to piggyback on a larger project that is mm-hmm. happening within your lab or that's happening under your supervisor and doing a piece of it for your master's. You save time in writing the proposal, you mm-hmm. save time in putting in ethics, you probably also have grant money. Mm-hmm. And so you make it so much easier on yourself and you really speed up the process versus I thought you had to develop a brand new project. That's what I thought too. Grant. And that's what I did, right? And don't get me wrong, I thought it was really valuable just in getting and learning the process. But if you're only going to do a master's, mm-hmm. then, you know, knowing how to do the, the all research from scratch and having to do it the hard way, you know, it's not always necessary. You have someone else who can spearhead this project and you can piggyback on that and you can learn the sort of just osmosis and you still get that experience out of it without, exactly. without all the stress, you know? Yeah. And also if you're a master's student, bother the, the doctoral students because mm-hmm. your supervisor probably won't have time or will have work-life boundaries and Weird. What are those? they won't give you as much support. But the doctoral students, oh, they will help you out. Yeah. They're uh, still well, close to it. You hope so. You hope so, right? Like, obviously, your lab might be different. But oftentimes, I think that's totally true. Like, the most cohesive relationships are formed between the grad students and not necessarily between, you know, a grad student and their supervisor. Again, depends on how big the lab is, if you even have a lab at all, and what the research is kind of happening, like if it's the same sort of stuff that you're doing. But in any case, just knowing other people in the same boat as you just is a good idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Our final confession comes from a PhD graduate who remembers a guest lecture that probably could have gone off to a better start if they talked to the right person. They write, During my PhD, I was scheduled to give a guest lecture for my supervisor's undergrad class. I was new to campus and hadn't had much time to explore the grounds. I did make sure to screenshot a photo of the campus map to avoid any confusion. 
I set out to find the room early, and with no class in there prior, I was able to log onto the computer and get my materials well prepared. I was also doing a demonstration with physiological equipment I was using for research, and that took at least five minutes to prepare. Students started to walk in, and I figured my supervisor failed to tell them I'd be guest lecturing as I got a lot of second looks. With one minute until class time, an older male walked in and asked if I'd be wrapping up my material and equipment as class was starting soon. Turns out, I was in the wrong class and building. It took me seven minutes to pack up and leave. Seven minutes where time literally felt like it stood still as 200 students were staring at me. Obviously, I was late to the actual class I was guest lecturing. Not the best look, but thankfully my supervisor gave me ample opportunities to redeem myself. This reminds me of a story that I told in the first episode, mm. which is like, I'm in the wrong class, but I am confidently in the wrong class. <laughs> and people just come in and like, but I actually had the sense to ask somebody. So, you know, that, that was okay on my part. <laughs> Imagine though, having all that equipment set up, just like all this phys equipment. And this is just like a literature class. And they're just like, what, what are they going to do what to does, us? What does this all mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's interesting, right? Because you'd think that being at the university and having the time to look for the ruin. Okay, no. Actually, no. I'm going to change my position on this. I think universities as a whole are confusing as hell. I think finding... Because here's what's happened, Kat. Unless it's a really new university, it's probably built on some old buildings that they were just like, yeah, we'll just put these here and that'll be the university. This is pretty. This is great. And then they'll be like, oh, wow, we're getting more popular. We're going to put some buildings here and here. And I swear, it's just like someone just took blocks of buildings and dropped them from the sky and we're like, they'll go here. What are we going to name it? Oh, something really intuitive, like the center building for innovation and higher learning teaching. And like, like what, what is, what is the acronym going to be? I-L-T-G. <laughs> what are we going to start naming, numbering the rooms with? Oh, 10,000, I think. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Universities my, are so confusing. My office room sounded like a droid. It was... 2R34D. Yeah, 2R34D. Like, uh, yes, the Arth floor. <laughs> Which floor are you on? The Arth floor. But it wasn't even the second floor. It was the ground floor. <laughs> Which dimension? The D dimension. <laughs> oh no, my but my actual graduate building used to be an old uh, teacher's college. And so I guess to prepare the teacher's for their future jobs, they made it look like... <laughs> like that makes no, any sense. They made it look like a high school. Um, it was awful. And it looked like a high school. Oh, that's why there were lockers in there? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, yeah, because you need to practice how to shove kids into <laughs> No, no, time to take kids out of lockers. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah you're Anyway, but then they turned it into the Rehabilitation Sciences um, Health Program. And they started adding things onto it. But the way they added them, it was like a video game that rendered really poorly. Like, there was one stairwell where if you went to the second floor, there was the second floor. But if you took a different stairwell, there was no door to the second floor. Oh, I remember that, actually. And there, there was only one way to get to the one side of the floor of the one Yeah, floor. the second floor was divided. Yeah. So there was, like, nothing in the middle. And two spots. Like you just hadn't unlocked that section of the building. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> had. You must be at least this smart. <laughs> yeah, there was a stairwell just in the middle of the building that took you to the third floor. That in itself was like kind of a circle and just existed in the center of the building. It was a mess. Weird. I don't know who. 
And then they had the audacity to try and make it accessible. So they slammed an elevator in the middle of the building and the elevator oh, only goes right. to the third floor. It doesn't go to the second floor at all. But obviously, so like, there's just a no. Hot Wheels track going down to the second and first floor. Ah, <laughs> oh, God, I wish. But they would schedule kids who like clearly needed the elevator onto the second floor, mm. forgetting that they actually can't get to it. The irony in that this is like a health and rehab sciences building too. <laughs> who was who was in rehab when they designed this? <laughs> oh man, yeah, no. See, and another example of miscommunication, right? Obviously, the people in the building who designed it are not communicating with the people who, like, actually need to go there and use it. To this day, I'm certain that I'm going to get into a stairwell or open a door. There's going to be a construction worker that's, like, mummified that's been, like, <laughs> plastered in there for the past 20 years that everyone just forgot about. That was the premise of a horror movie I saw once. Not, and I say when I saw, I mean, I watched, like, a summary for it. But essentially, this, like, architect was super, I guess, sadistic and would put children and just people like residents of this apartment building and pour them in concrete as pillars because it was like this mummification thing or like sacrifice to the architectural gods obviously but what was the structural integrity of that pillar <laughs> if like it's being supported by a 10 year old from the inside <laughs> yeah probably not great hang in there to be i mean like to be honest the uh the build <laughs> the movie and spoiler alert, with the building being collapsed so you know Hmm. Obviously, can't have been that. I wonder what the moral of the story is. The moral of the story is 10 year olds make terrible rebar. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Grad School Confessional. I'm your host, Dr. Yoa Sway. Special thanks again to my co host, Anna. Anna, I think the main message here is the key to communication is being comfortable with the other person. Your feet smell really bad after we climb. I think the key to communication is knowing when to say things. This is my forum that people need to know. I'm regretting this episode already. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes so that others can benefit from our mediocre advice. Please also share us with your social network and follow us on Twitter at GSConfessional. And if you have a confession you'd like to make, please use the anonymous link in the description or email thegradschoolconfessional at gmail.com. We're waiting for your funny, interesting, or controversial confessions. Until next time, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Principal Investigator, Amen. <laughs>